The Harvard study is very clear about what helps you be healthy and happy, committed, lifelong relationship. But according to your average kid today, young adults think that it's actually education and career. When you are Madonna and you've lived a whole life of entertainment, but you are maybe a decade or two or three away from your last breath, and you look back on all the accolades and all the platinum records, but you're not surrounded maybe on your last breaths by that person who loved you and you loved them, is that really a life well lived? everybody. Hello, YouTube. You're going to be listening to this later on podcast. Welcome to the Lila Rose podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We have a lot to cover today on today's live. So thanks for tuning in here. We're going to talk about modern relationships and dating, some news in the pop culture space, the YouTube and podcast space, a big YouTuber who just went extremely viral very quickly, Bobby Altoff, young mother of two, with her very good podcast. She just announced very tragically that she and her husband of four years are divorcing. I want to talk about that and her own comments on that. We're going to talk about a bunch of articles that are out, Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, talking about elites and marriage. And actually, my friend, Brad Wilcox, a sociologist who's brilliant, just came out the day before Valentine's Day with his book called Get Married, Why Americans Must Defy the Elites, Force Strong Families, and Save Civilization. So his message is get married. I know some of you guys are probably thinking, okay, I'd like to get married, but find me a, a wife or a husband, please. We're going to talk about that too. Obviously, it's really hard today to get married. And why is that? And are there solutions or strategies for that? We are also going to talk about some red pill stuff. I know we talk about this a fair amount on the channel because it's just in the social media narrative world of red pill versus trad con. We we did do an episode with Zuby this week, who is a rapper and a commentator, and we talked about prenuptials and uh, prenups before marriage. And I took the position that no, we shouldn't be pursuing those. And he took the position that we should. I actually want to talk about at the end of this show, we're going to talk about red pills challenges to me because they've been challenging me to debates and I want to respond. Uh, my official response to their invitations to debate them, um, like the Fresh and Fit podcast. It's one of the biggest red pill podcasts in the country and just what my take is on that and my response to that. And then we'll also do Q&A. So if you have questions, please put them in the chat because I will be keeping an eye on the chat. Hi, Brandy. Hello, Lois. Oh, someone's listening in from Uganda. How cool is that? If you have questions, any questions at all, please put them in the chat and we will be checking that out throughout the episode and we'll be doing Q&A at the end. All right. So for starters here, modern dating is tough, right? I was just talking with someone about going on a date after they went to, uh, a, they were doing online dating and then they met up with someone and it was just sort of a train, they felt it was a train wreck, right? So they actually went in person from the online experience and it was a disaster in their experience. And Unfortunately, this happens a lot where if people can even get offline when they're having conversations about dating, whether it's Tinder or any kind of match website, even when they get in person, there's so much, there's so many issues and so much that can go wrong. The messages that people get today around modern dating and modern relationships are very, I will say, conflicting and confusing, conflicted and confusing. There are messages such as sex before marriage is okay and not that important, you know, so you shouldn't be against having sex before marriage. It should actually be an expected part of the dating ritual. There is this feminist lie that says that there are no gender roles and that this idea of wanting the guy to pay during a date and wanting to be courted as a woman and certain expectations about how, what is the feminine behavior and the masculine behavior, those have been really blurred. All of those lines have been really blurred. There's the lie that marriage is just a piece of paper and therefore it's not that important. You can just cohabitate and that's good enough. There's the lie that you can and should have sex without children, like expect to ch have sex and not get pregnant. That is your right as an adult. And so therefore you also have this right to abortion, right? Because if you get pregnant, then you are entitled to sex without children. So therefore you should be able to have that abortion as your backup contraception. All of this stuff is part of the craziness of the world and the dating pool today. And so what is the, why are people not getting married as much 
today in, as in the past, that's certainly a huge thing to blame. And a lot of these messages are coming from the sexual revolution and ideologies of people that are kind of in academia, talking about modern families and polyamory and all of these new, a, new modern arrangements of relationships and quote unquote love that really don't work out in the real world. So I'm excited to talk about my friend Brad Wilcox's book and some of the recent literature and research on this because the reality is it's all lies. All this stuff about modern dating and blurring gender roles to the degree that they don't even exist anymore, sex without consequences, sex without attachment, relationship without commitment. So sex without relationship, then relationship without commitment, all of these things actually lead to people being very unhappy. And you don't need a sociologist or a some sort of researcher to tell you that. You can just talk to your friends and look at modern dating and relationships and you can see that people are not happy. So before we get into that and more, I wanna do a big thank you to the Amen app. The Amen app is a free prayer app. Yes, this is the first or the second day of Lent. Yesterday was Ash Wednesday. Many of you observed that. It was also Valentine's Day, so it's unusual that those days happen on the same day. But just while we're celebrating love, we're beginning to prepare our hearts for the 40 days of Lent and preparing our hearts for Jesus and the coming of the celebration of Easter. The Amen app is a free prayer app that you can download that has meditations, the Bible on it, daily readings, prayers that will help you deepen your relationship with God this Lent. So there are a lot of great prayer apps out there and I love them all, but the Amen app is great. It's a free resource from the Augustine Institute and you can actually download it for free at the link in the bio. Check it out, do something for prayer this Lent. I think it will really benefit you. It has benefited me already. And just make that part of, make it, make, give it a try. Give it a try. You have nothing to lose by giving God just a few minutes of your day and it will, and it can change your life. So the Amen app, give it a, give it a, give it a check, uh, check it out and you can download it at the link in the bio. Thank you to the Amen app. So you guys may have heard of Bobby Altoff. Bobby Altoff is a, let's pull up this recent headline about her. We'll watch this here in a moment. Actually, before we get to Bobby Let's go back to this clip. I want to show this clip really quick because I was talking about modern dating. This was a viral clip recently that really showcases the differences between dating 50 years ago versus dating today. And I thought it was really cleverly done. So let's watch this clip here. So this like very traditional, the guy's putting his jacket on the girl. They're looking at a sunset together. It's very appropriate and sweet. <laughs> They're watching Netflix together. That's the dating experience right there. They're sitting and watching a movie. Okay, there's one other I want to show you guys. If we can pull this up. Uh, is there one other besides this one? This one is the one, yeah. Let's watch this one. So this is the same skit, same actors, and they're just showing modern dating in different parts. So we're going to see the old-fashioned view first. You can play it. <laughs> You are absolutely beautiful, and I would love to take you on a date sometime. She wants to take her on a date, gets the number, and then it goes to he's looking at her provocative pictures on Tinder or whatever and swiping through the pictures. Okay, so the idea here obviously is that in the olden days, <laughs> decades ago, people would actually approach each other and ask each other out. Men would do that for women, that women and men would have these beautiful dates where they'd maybe be in nature watching a sunset and they would be enjoying each other's company and getting to know each other in this appropriate, beautiful way. And now they're like in dark rooms watching movies and you know, who knows what else is gonna happen. And then they're swiping around on apps and interacting through apps and that's how they meet each other. And there's just this callousness that comes with it. So I think it's a good depiction. And these are great viral shorts that show the issues with modern dating. Let's bump forward to the issues with modern marriage because the divorce rate, as you guys know, is very high. In the last few decades, it spiked to rates that it had never been before. This is post-sexual revolution. It's actually gone down a little bit, but part of that is because less people are actually getting married and also the divorce rates among certain groups are much higher than others. So we're going to unpack a little bit about that when we talk about Brad Wilcox's new book. 
but I did want to talk about Bobby Altoff. And first of all, I have to say, this is a, a young woman who's a podcaster. She went extremely viral recently for a number of interviews that she did. She is the host of the, I think it's called the Very Good Podcast. And she just got these amazing interviews lined up with huge celebrities over the last year, which rock, skyrocketed her to fame. And these sub celebrities included people like Drake, uh, the very popular you know, rapper and singer, and it included Tyga, it or Kaiga, Tyga, Kaiga, Tyga, not Kaiga, Tyga. Kaiga is also an entertainer, but he does, doesn't he do techno music? Okay, Tyga's like, I have no idea. Okay, Tyga and Kaiga. But anyways, Tyga, she interviewed him, who's the, I guess the boyfriend of Kylie Jenner. Um, she interviewed, you know, Mark Cuban, and she does these funny deadpan interviews where she's sitting with them in kind of awkward places and interviewing them. Well, she before that was a TikTok star with millions of views, and she would post her family content. She's been married four years, and she has two young children, and so it was really kind of fun, funny content about her kids and her life, right? Then she went really famous in the Hollywood circles, and now she's this kind of A-list celebrity, um, at least interviewing A-list celebrities. Well, what happened recently is she came out with an announcement that she and her husband are divorcing, and it says specifically her husband files for divorce. Of course, we don't know the full story at all, but what we do know is her comments about him and what preceded this divorce. So let's go look at this article from People Magazine. And then I want to share with you why I think this is important for us to even be talking about. You can scroll down, uh, Franco, to the article. She says, as most of you have heard, Corey and I have, Corey and I have filed for divorce. So it sounds like they, they both did. Uh, she says, I mean, she's only 26. And she says, and as sad as I am right now, I'm thankful for the time that I got to be his wife. So sad, right? And it says that they cited irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences. So this is not a question of at least in the divorce filings, abuse or some sort of thing of that horrible nature. This is more, they weren't working it out. And again, they have two young children. And what's so heartbreaking about this is they are a young couple. They were sharing in some ways about the relationship on social media. She gets really famous. They have two very young children. This is their beautiful family. You can see a photo here. Uh, they have two very young children and then now they're divorcing. And I do think that Hollywood entertainment and social media, especially social media fame, can be such home wreckers. I don't think I need to persuade you of that point. It, it is such a home wrecker to be in the limelight and to be in this very sort of superficial, often egotistical world of entertainment. It doesn't have to be that way, but it often is that way. And the, the thing I want to pinpoint here is some of the videos that she created before this divorce announcement were pretty suggestive. I mean, they were a entertainment, yes, but the podcast content was going the certain direction. And one of these famous videos was with Drake, who's known to be this kind of promiscuous guy who sings, has a lot of promiscuous sounding lyrics, you know, sort of his music is some of it. I think, you know, he's a talented guy, obviously, but his lyrics aren't always very respectful, let's just say, of women. And she's interviewing him in Drake's bed. They're clothed, drinking alcohol. And he's sort of making suggestive comments to her during the interview. And I just think right there is this, the reason I'm bringing this up, and I think it's important to talk about, is they say, you know, art mirrors life. Well, life can mirror art and, you know, entertainment, if we want to call it art. But what we put out there and how we, what we allow, even in our entertainment and our art, does impact our lives. Our ideas are powerful and our art, our entertainment is powerful. I'm not saying that Bobby Altoff getting in bed with Drake and filming that interview was what led to her divorce, divorce per se. I don't know, of course. I can't judge her or her relationship. I don't know the details. But I will say that that kind of behavior around marriage where there's aren't boundaries, there is, you know, this like spike to fame and all of this attention and combined with lack of boundaries, which were just presented as entertainment. Like the lack of boundary was part of the entertainment, right? That she was in his bed. And that was supposed to be kind of the gimmick. 
And she's a married mother of two young children. She's, I mean, it doesn't matter if you even have, have any children, you're married, you're in bed with another man. It just, it's not the right picture, right? It's one thing if they're like sitting on a sofa or they're like out on the patio talking, it's okay, no, no issue, but you're in his bed and you didn't need to do that. And I think it's important. It matters. And I think there's this myth in entertainment today that we've sort of bought, we've bought as a society in general, that these boundary moving acts that are provocative, right? I'm going to push the boundary here. The boundary pushing is somehow part of the entertainment and part of the fun. But when the boundary pushing is around the most sacred things that we should be protecting, like marriage, of course, and children, you know, I, the sexualization of children is another example of this. When the boundary pushing is around sacred things and we are mocking or negating the sacred in some way, it is not just going to be toxic for our audience, but it's going to be damaging for us, for the people creating the art, as well as for the people consuming the entertainment. I know some people listening are like, that's not art. Why, Lila, why are you calling a podcast and a YouTube video art? Okay, that's fine. Sure. Call it just entertainment as you will. But the point still stands. And so how does this connect to the other topic that we're going to get into about Brad Wilcox's new book? It's because there is this narrative today that boundaries, morality doesn't really apply to us anymore, that we don't need to live by the boundaries or the traditions of the past when it comes to relationships and sexual morality and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, that we can throw it out the window. We can recreate it the way that we want to, whether it's through entertainment or through ideology and academia, and everyone's going to be fine. It's a big social experiment. We're playing with ourselves and we're all going to be fine. And the reality is we're not okay. So I'm going to get to Brad Wilcox's book. I wish Bobby Altoff all the best and her in her you know, now broken marriage and her children. I hope that there can be reconciliation. Again, I'm not in their marriage, but my hope would be that for those that are in entertainment, that they can seek out the community, the guidance, the mentorship, and the formation that they need so that the entertainment doesn't become destructive to them. And the boundary pushing that maybe the artist likes to explore doesn't include pushing the boundaries of the sacred because we can push the boundaries of experimentation of our imagination and dreaming big and creativity exploration. But when we push the boundaries of moral law around the sacredness of life, around the sacredness of marriage, the sacredness of sex, these things, we only hurt ourselves. So say a prayer for Bobby Altoff if you are listening and say a prayer for marriages in general because marriages whether because of the entertainment world or because of social media, the hypersexualization of culture, pornography, all of these things are struggling. And that is a direct consequence of the toxicity in our culture. And we should pray for our own marriages if we're married, pray for our spouses and pray for other people's marriages too, because it can be hard to get married in this culture and it can be hard to stay married in this culture. And acknowledging that is not a defeat. Acknowledging that is actually setting ourselves up for victory because now we're saying, yes, this is a battle. We can't be lukewarm and pretend everything's chill and okay. We have to be on guard and we have to be discerning about the entertainment we consume, about the people that we listen to and watch, and about, of course, how we're living our lives and the choices that we are making. Before we get into the book, Get Married, I want to also thank our sponsor, Seven Weeks Coffee. Seven Weeks Coffee is what I just drank this morning, and it was awesome. I drank the Ethiopia Medium Roast. SevenWeeksCoffee.com is America's pro-life coffee company. And so they're small batched, gourmet, ethically sourced, direct source coffee, direct trade coffee. That's amazing. You're going to love them. You can deliver it right to your door by just ordering at SevenWeeksCoffee.com. And then 10% of everything that you spend at Seven Weeks Coffee directly funds the pro-life movement. So you're actually funding pregnancy resource centers, getting resources to babies and moms and families in need. So check out Seven Weeks Coffee today. You can use the code Lila at checkout for 10% off your order. Thank you to Seven Weeks. So Brad Wilcox is a researcher, sociologist. He's brilliant. I met him, I think for the first time last summer at an event 
And I actually interviewed him. That interview will be up on the live action channel. We'll maybe try to get him on the podcast as well. He just came out with this book called Get Married, Why Americans Must Defy the Elites, Force Strong Families, and Save Civilization. It's a great title. <laughs> it's like, sounds good. Let's do it. I, the defy the elites part might be a little bit like, why did he say that? What does that mean? And so we're going to unpack that with one of the articles he wrote recently, I think for the Atlantic. So let me pull that up and start with that. While we're pulling that up, some comments coming in. Yes. Pray for marriages, not Babi Altoff. Well, we can pray for them both. Um, someone says she skipped her daughter's birthday. Okay. So there's a lot of down stuff on Bobby Altoff. And <clears throat> I do think, uh, folks commenting, there's truth to what you're saying that it's partly lack of boundaries in her marriage, potentially in what we saw the content she was creating, but also a lack of boundaries possibly in, in her motherhood. Because again, when you're a working mother and you're doing something really exciting and fun, like she was building this new podcast, like that can be really exciting and exhilarating. But if you're not balancing your motherhood and making sure that you're still putting your kids first and you're not compromising their health and their welfare, that can be damaging too. Now, I don't know if she did that. I'm not going to say she did or she didn't. Someone commented here, she skipped her daughter's birthday. I don't know the circumstances of that. It doesn't sound great. Uh, but the point here still stands that the destruction of boundaries around our relationships, especially marriage, but also with our children, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, uh, can be very, are destructive. They are destructive. So back to our article with Brad Wilcox. So this was in the Atlantic, just I think a couple of days ago. And the title is The Awfulness of Elite Hypocrisy on Marriage. It says the privileged classes would never dream of saying one form of family life is better than another. So why are they always married? Okay, what he's saying here is that people who are very wealthy, and pretty, very, very well educated typically, and very successful, and usually often very famous, these people often say that you shouldn't judge different kinds of families. Let there be two fathers or three fathers. Let it be a single father or a single mother. Let it be a, not even a married couple and they have a child. You know, you're a single woman and you want, you're a career woman, you're 40, you want to purchase some sperm and basically make your baby, make a biological child because you don't want to never, you know, lose the fertility window, never have a child, go for it. You go girl, you do you. And you look at the actual like ideology of many of our academic elites and our politicians, quite frankly, like someone like a Nancy Pelosi, right? She's all for the modern family. She's all for, if you want to be a single parent and parent, it's not a big deal. Two men can raise a baby, that baby doesn't need a mother. Two women can raise a baby, that baby doesn't need a father. She's for any kind of marriage or not marriage you want. She's not gonna judge you. She's obviously very for abortion. And Nancy Pelosi, who's a very much older woman, she's got, I think, four to six kids. She's got at least four kids. She's been married to one man for, I think it's, I don't know if they're going on 50 years now. And she is someone who has tons of grandkids and she's living by any measure when you look at her actual choices, she's made a very traditional life. And yet she's promoting these very non-traditional lifestyles for other people, right? And that's what this article from Brad says. Is it, norm is it morally wrong to have a baby outside of marriage? No, the answer I received from about two thirds of my sociology of family class at the University of Virginia last spring, when I put that question to them in an, in an anonymous online poll, the class of approximately 200 students was diverse geographically, racially, and ethnically, but on questions like this one, asking whether society should promote or value one type of family structure over another, the students I teach at UVA generally say it shouldn't. They're not just coming up with that on their own, they're coming up with that because that's what entertainment, news media, you know, politicians certainly, but certainly academia is telling them that you should not, there's no moral issue with having a child out of wedlock. There's no moral issue with intentionally choosing to have a child, a single person or two men, two women, whatever. These are all morally neutral. And Brad Wilcox is saying, well, actually the data proves that the elites, the wealthy, educated people have more traditional relationships. One man, one woman, typically longer marriages, and they have kids. 
In addition to that, they are often the ones who are promoting policies and ideas to say that modern family can be whatever way you want to go. Let's go back to this article here. And then I want to pull up a second one. Um, and it says basically all of these students, so Brad's continuing his just commentary about interviewing his own students. And he said to them, he asked them, do you personally plan to finish your education, work full time, marry, and then have children? 97% said yes. So while they're saying it's not a moral, it's morally neutral to have a child out of wedlock, it's morally neutral to have different family structures, modern family, like the show says, 97% of them said that they plan to finish their education, get a job, get married and have kids. Kind of a traditional route right there. So again, it's that huge disconnect between preaching one thing as the elites and living another thing. Now, thank God that they want to live the right path. <laughs> They're trying to live the right path themselves. But why are we promoting in pop culture and entertainment and our academia, why are we promoting the lies about marriage, that marriage doesn't matter, that marriage shouldn't precede kids? Why do we do that when we ourselves, most of us are living the traditional way? There's a second article about this that came out around the same time, I want to point out, a second author, Rob Henderson, and he says, the article says, luxury beliefs that only the privileged can afford. And he says, at Yale, I saw that extreme views on drugs, marriage, and crime served as status symbols. You can scroll down here and we can learn a little more about his experience, but he basically says that in the same way that you don't notice the specifics of your own culture until you travel elsewhere, you don't really notice your social class until you enter another one. As an undergraduate at Yale a decade ago, I came to see that my peers had experienced a totally different reality, had to experience a totally different social reality than me. I had grown up poor, a biracial product of family dysfunction, foster care and military service, suddenly a Sconson affluence at an elite university. And I found myself thinking a lot about class divides and social hierarchies. So this article is a slightly different take, but it's more about the experience of someone who is growing up maybe in a broken family, in a less privileged area. You know, there's, he, he talks about he's being raised by race. He is, he is biracial. And what his experience was and what people said about his experience was different because they were saying no judgment, you know, this, you do you, it's great and I'll do me. But they had clear additional privileges coming from intact families wealthier background, better educational background than he did. And he's calling foul on it. That again, for us to say that there's no morality around marriage, there's no morality around these things is ultimately not true. You are privileged. Let me just say this very clearly. If you were raised in an intact family with a mother and father who were married to each other and sought, sought their best in all their imperfections to stay married and love each other, that is a tremendous privilege. Statistically speaking, and personally for you, it is a tremendous privilege that you have. And so the myth that marriage doesn't matter is a lie, it's a myth, and it's only hurting people. Back to Brad's article, there's a, another piece on this from the National Catholic Register that I thought was a good kind of synopsis of his book. I highly recommend his book, go check it out. But it basically is the, um, excuse me, scroll to the top here, seven reasons to get married. So let's kind of scroll through what some of what the data is from Brad's book. And again, we'll try to have him on the show. So one of his premises is that marriage is the bedrock of society. Fully agree with that, that you cannot have a healthy functioning civilization without marriage. And he uses the Harvard study, which I have mentioned in the podcast before, and that's the longest, it's the, lo the longest uh, ongoing study of human happiness. It's a longitudinal study over a hundred years of two different cohorts, men, some of them very well educated from more privileged backgrounds, some of them less educated from lower income backgrounds and discovered that their outcomes were not determined by how wealthy or educated that they were. Their outcomes health wise and happiness wise, physical and emotional, mental health and happiness wise were determined most by their relationships and whether or not they got married and stayed married. Wilcox says the institution of marriage plays a central role in organizing family life, promoting human flourishing and maintaining order. And it's not just 
maintaining or promoting human flourishing for the people who are married. It's for the children too, because the, st- the research on the impact of fatherlessness, the impact and the struggles of single parents, the impact and struggles of divorce on children is very clear that it is all very damaging. So Brad is pointing this out. He goes on to talk in the book about how most young adults today are actually valuing career over marriage. Back to Bobby Althoff for a moment. Again, we don't know all the details interpersonally of her life, but from the entertainment she was creating, sitting in bed as a gimmick with another man when she's married, it's a sign of valuing career and the the views that that, that would get on the internet, right, over her marriage. Just is. It's sad. I, I hate to say it, but it's true. And so many young people today, I think we're being, we're just being brainwashed from a young age to think that fame, money, career, educational outcomes even for ourselves are more important than our relationships and that we need to go after these things no matter what. And if our relationship suffers and falls by the wayside, so be it. That your relationship should only work as long as it's working for you and your career, as opposed to you should work for your relationship and prioritize that person, that human being that you would be committing to for life. He goes on to write about how a lot of people are delaying marriage and they're wanting to even not get married. It says the that 12% of young adults ages, uh, that excuse me, 32% of young adults ages 18 through 40 think that marriage is essential to living a fulfilling life compared to 64% who think that education is essential and 74% who think that making money Making a good living is essential. So the Harvard study is very clear about what helps you be healthy and happy. Relationships, committed, lifelong relationship. But according to your average kid today, young adults think, many of them think that it's actually not marriage. It's actually education and career that is most important. Very, very sad, right? Um, We can go down here. Another thing that he said, of course, the fact that, as I said earlier, fewer Americans are marrying. So he analyzes that. It's no surprise that that's happening based on everything that we're talking about. I want you to also flag what he said here is that stable marriages are more common among the well-off. There you go. The elites are living it. They know and they're living it, but they're not recommending it or encouraging it for other people, right? I know we've talked about Taylor Swift in the last live. I have to bring her up here because it's a good example. She's in her mid thirties. She is not married. She has no children. And she, you know, a lot of girls are in that space, by the way, dealing with that. So I think a lot of people can relate to her and she is prioritizing, I think, dating. It seems like she's trying to date. We'll see. We hope that it can work out for her to get married. But I think the message, generally speaking, is a sort of eternal youth message, It's an eternal youth message coming from a lot of entertainers who are just continually climbing the the heights in their careers and they're single or they break up and they get get together again, then they're single again. And it's like, what is life about? You know, what is life really about? Of course, these things, being an amazing entertainer, it's amazing, creating amazing art, being amazingly successful. You're at the top of 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 the corporate ladder. You're doing amazing things right? I mean, Taylor Swift is at the top of the entertainment ladder. She's doing amazing things. That That is something that there's goodness to that, right? There's something to be odd. There's something awe-inspiring about it. But is that really what is going to bring lifelong fulfillment? When you are Madonna and you've lived a whole life of entertainment, but you are maybe a decade or two or three away from your last breaths, Right? And you look back on all the accolades and all the platinum records and all the stages that you have danced on, but you're not surrounded maybe on your last breaths by that person who loved you and you loved them and you built a life with them. You don't have that person. Is that really a life well lived? And I'm not saying you have to get married to live a life well lived because as you know, I believe that celibacy can be an amazing calling for some people. But that's a calling that you choose and you say yes to, and then you intentionally develop relationships that are still often lifelong, 
with your order, if you're religious or with other families or in a community, you're still focused on relationships. You're still focused on service as opposed to achievement or even your creative work or success, right? And I just think about someone like a Madonna and, you know, she's like, she's chasing everlasting youth, but she's not young anymore. And you know, I, I hope the best for her and we should pray for any celebrity we come across. You know, if we read about them, say a prayer for them and for the people that we know and love and what's going to make her in the end happiest. And it's going to be first relationship with God who loves her and wants her love. And second of all, it's going to be human relationship. That is the secret to human flourishing. And Brad Wilcox's book, Get Married, lays it out. A couple more things to note before we move on from Brad Wilcox's book here. This is really important, this one. This is really big. He says, religious observance, ethnicity can predict marital success. This is, this is a, a big one. So he's saying Americans who regularly attend church are more likely to marry for life. No surprise. Uh, various studies have shown that regular churchgoers are between 30 and 50% less likely than others to get divorced. You want to divorce-proof your marriage? One of the first steps is to build a relationship with God and, and, and his church, his community, because you need, we need community and we need God and his grace to live out the vows of marriage. I, I think that's just a fact. And people who live marriage without God, they still, if they're doing anything right in that marriage, like fidelity and sacrifice, they're still living God, even if they don't call it that in their marriage. Because at fidelity, sacrifice, love is God. God is love, right? Um, he goes on to write Brad Wilcox, commitment to family is stronger in some ethnic communities than others, resulting in lower divorce rates in some communities versus others. This is controversial, but it's the facts. He says only 15% of ever married Asian Americans ages 18 to 55 have divorced compared to 32% of whites 29% of Hispanics, and 42% of African Americans. In other words, families, familyism, excuse me, found in Asian culture translates in America as in Asia to markedly greater marital stability. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think there's certainly some causation that Asians are economically faring better largely today than most, if not all, other groups. And they typically are getting better, have better educational outcomes as well. Because part of that package of their culture that they're living is really valuing marriage and long-term lifelong commitment in a marriage. I mean, incredible, right? To think about that. What are the Asian Americans doing that we can learn from when their divorce rates are so low they are investing and putting marriage first. And whether you, no matter your skin color, no matter your ethnicity, that's not just for Asian Americans or for one ethnic group over another, it's for all of us as human beings, but we can learn from them. Brad also has this very controversial and very surprising uh, content in his book, uh, research in his book that broken homes actually hurt kids, yes. This idea that you can divorce as, a, as an adult and it's your kids are going to be fine. They're going to be great. It's a lie. And the, the research proves that. And it's what makes these tragic divorce, public divorces so sad is when the couples are like, we love each other. We're still going to love each other. Now we're going to be focused on raising our beautiful kids as co-parents. Yeah, but your beautiful kids are caught up in the mess of your refusal to love each other till death do you part. And now they have to deal with this broken home and there are consequences for your child. It's harsh, it's hard to hear, but it is a reality. And adults should know that as they're making the decisions about love, that it does harm their kids. So Brad gets into that. Excellent, excellent book, highly recommend it. Again, we will try to get Brad on the podcast, but it's, the, it's what we need to hear. It's what we need to know. It's the truth. And the truth sets you free and can set you up for success. But you gotta, you gotta accept it first. You gotta know it first. All right, another shout out to a, our last sponsor for our podcast, which is Every Life. Everylife.com is America's baby diaper and wipes company. They are pro-life. They support mothers and babies by giving part of their revenues back to the pro-life movement, which is beautiful. 
everylife.com actually just did a diaper drive with live action where we, I think we're at 1300 now, different uh, families have come together to purchase diapers and wipes from moms in need. And Every Life is giving them at cost to moms and families in need. So it's a very cool thing. Everylife.com is also just great product. So if you've got a little one, you can order a subscription and you can get an amazing diaper and wipes products to your door for your little one. So stop buying from Pampers and Huggies and all these brands that are actually pro-abortion, unfortunately, and check out everylife.com instead. I think you're going to love the product. And of course, you'll love the cause. So that's everylife.com. And you can use the code LILA at checkout for 10% off your order. Thanks, Every Life, for supporting the pro-life movement. We, we love you guys. Okay, last topic, guys. And then we're going to look at the... Um, we're going to look at the comments here too. Savannah, Lila, I love this topic. Thank you for speaking on it. Yay. On, on marriage, I think you're referring to there. Okay. So we're going to go now to um, the last topic here, which is red pill. Red pill leaders recently, there's been a lot of conversation about traditional conservatives versus red pillars. We talked about this a little bit in the last episode with Zuby. What do these terms even mean? But there was this tweet that went around a couple weeks ago from Myron of the Fresh and Fit podcast. It's called In Miami. And they say they're the number one men's podcast in the world. You know, I don't know if that's true, but I do know they have a huge audience. And they're very much leaders in the red pill space. So red pill, you can think Andrew Tate. You can think uh, you know, this guy named Rollo Tomasi, he, he's called the godfather of red pill ideology. He's written all these books. And so they wrote this tweet that's gone viral saying, I challenge, they challenge a number of people and they challenged me um, to debate them um, or any trad con from the Daily Wire, it says, to debate the red pill on fresh and fit pod. And they tagged Lila Gracer as my Twitter handle. And the guy, Myron, is saying, I will either stay a neutral host or be in the debate, depending on what the opposition prefers. And then he uh, tags a bunch of red pill gentlemen, I'll call them gentlemen, men, uh, that would be representing red, red pill in the debate. And he said, let's put the two ideas to the test through debate. And I did respond and I said, I would be happy to do this. Um, obviously, it would be more, more convenient if it was in California, but I would be happy to do this debate if we can arrange it in the future. And the reason I said I would be happy to do, to do this debate because, well, I personally am not really enthused about, um, let's just say controversy. Some people enjoy controversy and conflict and debate. I personally actually don't enjoy that. I love conversations and deep dives and discussions, but I do not like conflict personally. I'm not drawn to it like some people are, but I think that the ideas represented by wet red pill need to be challenged. And some of those ideas involve especially morality, especially around sex and marriage, because there are certain principles that red pill has that they share about what they see to be male's nature versus female's nature and basically holding men and women to the same standards of sexual fidelity, my understanding of red pill and everything that they say is that that's not necessary, that you don't need sexual fidelity and that it's actually more important for a woman to be sexually faithful than a man. And they actually talk about this kind of idea of this uh, high class man, high status man that can have multiple women even, and she should just be happy that and just toe the, toe the line and she should just be happy with it. And I think that's not good for the man or for the woman and there, or the women, I should say. And there was a viral clip of me that got retweeted recently. And I think this is one of the reasons this red pill stuff is bubbling up again, where I almost inadvertently had this conversation with Justin Waller is his name on the whatever podcast. And I haven't really talked about this very much publicly, but I'll just say this now, you know, people saw this clip, it went viral. I was basically asking him his questions about dating because he was sharing about how he dates or or how he you know, is, is in relationship with women. And I felt there were a lot of contradictions in what he was saying. So I didn't know who he was. You know, it was my first time meeting him, first time being on the show. And so I was asking different panelists their, about their lives because we were asking each other questions and sharing our perspectives. And he was saying, he would say during the conversation, he has room in his heart for only one woman. He like has this ideal, I guess, of a one woman, but that he's 
ultimately has polyamorous. He has multiple relationships and multiple children potentially from those relationships. And so I was asking him about why it was that he lived that way with this one idea of this one woman that he could love. And then he was not practicing that. And he basically said he wasn't wired that way. And this is part of the red pill ideology is that men are not wired that way. And because they have these impulses for multiple women, they should, it's not a big deal if they act on them. And I think that is the brokenness there, which is, yes, of course, we can have impulses for multiple to be sexually interested in other people, both men and women, by the way. Certainly men are sexually different than women and, and respond differently, but that is not unusual to be attracted to more than one person. That's normal. But that doesn't mean that we're doomed to go sleep with multiple people and that we don't have self-control. We can't direct our behavior and our love towards one person and make a choice to love someone. And I think if someone is really struggling with commitment and they're really struggling to make the commitment to get married as an example, maybe they found this person that like checks all the boxes and they, they are in love with, but they are afraid and they struggle to commit to that person. I would say there's work that that person has to do on themselves to become healthier and maybe work on their virtue and maybe addictions they may have or other issues they may have so that they're able to have that lifelong, satisfying, beautiful relationship with one other person. So that would be my hope for red pillars that they can come to see marriage as beautiful and good and that they can take, you know, Brad Wilcox's advice, right? Get married and that they can, you know, we can resolve some of these painful things like the pain of divorce, the pain of betrayal, the pain of cheating, because I think a lot of that drives red pills. Like men are, you know, men are being cheated on, men are not being treated well, you know, men get the short end of the stick in today's culture because of feminism and all these things. And while some of that may be true, I think the solution is not to say, okay, I'm going to put up these boundaries and these walls around my life and never enjoy deep intimacy and trust with one woman in a marriage. I don't think that rejecting that is the answer. So I'm down to debate red pill. We'll see if that ends up materializing. As you guys know, I'm going to be on maternity leave coming up in a couple months here. So we'll see if it can happen before then. But either way, I think these conversations are important. So I appreciate Myron for wanting to have the conversation. I appreciate Justin Waller for engaging with me as much as he did on the podcast. And I think these conversations, like the one I just had with Zuby earlier this week that we released, are very good conversations to have. All right, let's go to the chat here and see if there's any comments before we wrap up and any questions. We also got some questions from Instagram and direct message. All right, we'll go to, um, okay, here's a, here's a good one from Cargo Pilot Guy. Would Christ think women should have the right to vote? All right, Christ never said anything about women's right to vote or not right to vote or men's right to vote or not right to vote. So I can't tell you what Christ would say. What I can say is that Christ did something very radical among many things when he came into the Roman Empire and was ultimately killed and then resurrected as our savior, right? But that he came in with this radical teaching on the dignity of children and women and all peoples. And he showed love and respect in a way that was revolutionary to the lower class people including the, you know, the Gentiles, he has a Jew to the Gentiles, to women, including women who are prostitutes and living in sin, tax collectors, children, let the little children come to me. He was incredibly, he was incredible as God in showing that we are all made in God's image, men, women, children, all of us. And we have equal dignity in the eyes of God. And so I think pulling from that foundation that Christ clearly laid and shows us and how to see other people, I think you can definitely make the case that we as women, adult women and adult men should both have the right to vote. That would be my argument. We're not going to get into details on that. I know that that's kind of raised its head lately, repeal the 19th and all of this. Maybe we'll do a debate on that in an episode on that. Let me know if you guys want to see that. Okay. Going back to the um, comment section here. Um, this is an interesting question from someone about the marriage and happiness link. Are they happy and successful because they got married or are they married because they're happy and successful? So I think it's an interesting question, but the reality of the Harvard study was that they took people that were not successful in one group 
financially or with a good education. And they took people that were successful financially and with a good, uh, without a good education. So one group had it, one group didn't. And what was the determining factor for both groups for lifelong happiness and success was whether they got married and stayed married. So to answer your question, marriage helped them be happy and successful. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who gets married will be happy and successful. That's not the promise. This is not some magical trick that will solve everyone's problems, but it does lead to more human flourishing than any other arrangement that the modern man can devise, right? Marriage, traditional marriage, one man, one woman for life is the way. Okay, I think we're going to take one more question here. Um, People loving Brad Wilcox. Love Brad Wilcox's advice. That would be an epic debate. Someone says, if you do go on the podcast, we should do an Esther fast for you. Thank you. I'd love that. (laughs) That would mean the world uh, to pray for me for that. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it materializes, if that um, if that debate materializes. I would love to do it. Okay, one last one. Um, Just joined. Has she addressed the red pill challenge of the debate? Yes, I did do. We did talk about red pill and I'm down to debate. We'll see if it works out because it would be great. Okay, one last question, actually. This is on bringing it closing. A nice way to close out. This is the first day, the second day of Lent. Is Lent biblical, though? Yes, Lent, I think, is very biblical. We're actually going to have on a priest and a philosopher and theologian to talk about the biblical basis for Lent. So stay tuned on that. But one little sneak peek into that is the idea of preparing for God is very biblical. And there's 40 days that Jesus prepares for his ministry as God. As you know, in the wilderness, he prays and fasts and he's tempted before he begins his public ministry. So this idea of 40 days of preparation is profoundly biblical. And we will talk about how that connects to Good Friday, observing the passion of Christ, and then of course, celebrating the resurrection of Christ on an upcoming episode of the Lila Rose podcast. So guys, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun to be on here with you all. And thank you for those listening on podcast app. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the channel and ring the notification bell. I think some of our episodes don't actually get shown to our subscribers. So make sure you've rung that bell so that you get alerted to new episodes. And then also don't forget, we have a locals community and a Patreon page. So whether you use Patreon or locals, please join our communities. That's how the podcast helps reach more people. If you become a supporter, you can get behind the scenes access there. We're going to be doing cool things in the future on both of the pages. Our locals community is brand new. We're excited to build that. Check those links out at the link. Check those links out at the links in the bio. Thanks so much, guys. And we'll see you next time.